Welcome to Uncomfortable Is Okay, where we explore the science, the stories, and the strategies of getting out of your comfort zone, navigating challenge, and doing the hard things that make life worth living. I'm your host, Chris Desmond. Uncomfortable Is Okay is brought to you by Health Mentors. Health Mentors is a performance well-being company that helps change makers dial in their health and improve their performance in the middle of a chaotic world. We offer one-on-one health mentoring services, as well as a range of workshops and workplace solutions, all the way up to supporting organizations with their well-being strategy. You can find out more at healthmentors.nz or get in contact with Chris at healthmentors.nz. Welcome to the Uncomfortable is OK podcast. Today, we are joined by Richard Bowles. That's Bowles, not Bowles. And he is a multi-world record adventurer, founder of Adventure Alchemy, which is dedicated to exploring how leaders lean into the challenges of the modern world. Richard, welcome to the podcast, mate. Thanks for having me. And so with, a, with an introduction like that, mate, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. <laughs> good, good, good. There'll be, there'll be some bowel conversation, I'm sure, around some of the stuff that you've been up to. But I always like to kick things off just with a bit of background about you. So where are you from? Where were you born? Where did you grow up? Yeah, well, obviously you picked up the accent that I probably did you, Chris. So I was born in the U- UK, but don't hold that against me. You Kiwis and Australian Valley. And yeah, I, I was brought up in a tiny little village in the center of England, a place called Leicestershire. Lots of green fields, a lot of farms, kind of a quiet, just a quiet country village, you know, with a with a pub and all those things you expect when you think of, you know, England and the countryside. And then I, I moved to Australia 20 years ago, though. So I've been here for most of my adult life after doing some extensive travel around the world, did the whole backpacking thing, which is the, kind of the reason why I ended up in Australia, because this is one of the first places I came and backpacked around. It's pretty straightforward to do, right? So the whole working visa thing. And then, you know, years later, I end up going back here to live, which is kind of fantastic. So yeah, that's, I mean, short, in a short background, that's, that's pretty much it. And I think if we like, I know, I know where we're going to go with this conversation with the whole adventure thing. So on that, let's, let's go back a step. I think that extensive travel period probably really opened up the floodgates to what I do now. I, I always wanted to get out of England. I always wanted to get out of the village. I just knew there was more, to, more to life, more to learn, more to experience outside of, you know. This, this country village that I lived in. And very early on in the piece, I got out, I managed to travel around the world and all through Asia, doing lots of hikes and jungle treks. And then I did an eight month stint in South America and some, some did the same there. And started running some mountain trails there. And this all sort of all came to like, you know, a head where now I'm sort of actively seeking out adventures around the world and sort of pushing my own boundaries and limitations, but really exploring how other people do that in the context of the adventures that I put myself into. Mm. It's always nice when people save me questions as well, because I was going <laughs> to ask you about that. Just yeah, in case yeah. people think that I weren't, wasn't. Um, Richard, there was obviously that kind of thirst to get out there and thirst to go and explore the world. And there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. But one of the ways that you've done it is to put yourself in some reasonably challenging situations while you were out there traveling around. What about taking on challenge or exploring challenge kind of called to you in those early days? The fact that I don't like it, I still don't like it. 
it, I, I get drawn to the things I don't like. It sounds ludicrous. A lot of people that does, but even simple things like I love like a macchiato coffee for the pure reason that I don't like it because it makes my face go. I like really spicy food because I don't like it. I just love being challenged by stuff. I love, I love having to think through a feeling or, or a situation. And that's what I really thrive for, for now is just like really like making myself so uncomfortable that I actually have to think. I have to really be in the moment rather than just well, not being in the moment, I guess, is the, the short answer to that. And I just I've always sort of felt compelled to, to do that, to go and do the things that I find extremely uncomfortable, extremely challenging. Because I feel that they're, they're probably not as challenging as they sometimes might, might appear to be. And I always reference back to life. I think life is probably the greatest adventure, the hardest, most darkest part of life. I mean, it's just life in general is just tough and difficult and just a struggle at, at the, be the best of times. And, I, and some people might say that's a bit of a negative way to look at the world. But the fact is that I think 90% of your life is not that exciting. It's actually hard and challenging and exhausting and arduous. So I, I think I go and search for things that are extremely challenging. Therefore, that makes life somewhat e easier. And I don't like the word easier, but it just makes it a bit more lightweight because it's such a heavy, I think life's just he heavy. Mm, yeah. I think as humans, like we going to have discomfort regardless of what we do. Whether we go out and seek adventure mm. or seek challenges, there's going to be discomfort in that. If you stay at home, life has a habit of punching you in the face at some point as well. So there's going to be discomfort. I think the price of a meaningful life is being able to, well, learning how to navigate that discomfort so you can go do the cool stuff that makes life exciting. Yeah. And I think if we stand any chance of really leading ourselves and leading other people, let's say, and really na navigating the very uncertain future well, I think it kind of pays to know how you're going to respond to that challenge and, and difficulty moving forward. I think too many people avoid that sort of things. There's such an emphasis put on positive thinking. It's all about, all about being positive and you've got to be motivated and you've got to be inspired and you've got to be passionate. And that's super important, right? I'm not, I'm not saying that's not important, but what's equally as important, like the yin and the yang, the light and the shade and all that kind of thing is that is the, is the, the challenges stuff that's going to, that's going to come up. And we, I think when people set a goal, they avoid looking at that, that darker path, but it's the dark path that's going to trip you up and stop you ever reaching the goal. The motive, the, the happy stuff takes care of itself. It's the, it's all these challenges along the route that, are, that really are going to slow you down, make you take a completely different route, or at worst, just give up altogether. So I think it's 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 important to really focus on the darker side rather than going. I'm just going. I'm just going to be great. We've got this goal. It's going to be. It's going to be so happy. It's like no, it's not actually. It's going to be really kind of shit. <laughs> and it's, and, it's, and as soon as you accept that reality. You've already made it easier for, for, for yourself to go on that journey and hopefully overcome those obstacles and reach whatever it is you're trying to attain. Yeah, brilliant, mate. That was one of the reasons this podcast started out. Like I was having a look on, it was on LinkedIn actually, how long I've been doing it for. It's been six years. There was a two-year break oh, wow. in, in the middle of it. We're up to, I think you'll be like episode 308 or 309 or something, but I loved podcasts and I listened to a lot of podcasts then. And 
a lot of the podcasts back six years ago were about that positive thinking and setting goals and getting them after getting after them and hoorah. But none of them were talking about that the really hard path that you have to go through uh, and the barriers that you come up against and the mistakes that you make and the challenges that you need to overcome to get to that hoorah, to get to the goal. And, or if they were, they'd kind of brush them off. They wouldn't talk about them practically. They wouldn't really acknowledge them that, hey, these things suck. Like, Yeah, well, I don't know why, actually. Yeah, and, and, I, and I, t- I tell you the reason why people do that, which I, I, I believe this is this is why I this is why I do what I do now in terms of the business that I run, is that I I want to find out how to overcome change, uncertainty, doubt, anxiety, all the you know all the dark stuff in real time. The problem is when someone goes and achieves something, starts a business, does amazingly well, is a sports person at the highest level. When they talk about what they've done, you. They're a different person because they've done what they've done. Meaning that if you're approaching a goal, you approach it very different. Sorry, you think about it very differently before the goal than you do after you've achieved the goal because you've transformed. Yeah. So when you look, when you look back, you miss all the bit that was what actually really happened. It's very hard to know what actually really happened. So now I'm going out and, and, and trying to figure out in real time what's happening. What is my response to change and certainty, a crisis, all of those things in real time? Or the people I'm spending time with in some of these adventures, you know, observing them and find out what, what, what are they actually doing in real time to move through an uncomfortable situation? And I just think that's, that's the failure of a lot of people. I mean, I, I hate to use like, you know, a Steve Jobs as, a, as an example, but remember listening to him once and he said something about, it's not about the money. I thought that's a really, really interesting thing to, to state because I'm pretty sure in the early days when you're in that ga- garage of your parents, work, working, 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 you were thinking about the dollars for sure. But now you've got a lot of wealth. It's very easy to say it's not about the money. It's just about the work. So, and I think you just, you just miss, because you transform into this completely different person, you just, it's very easy to gloss over and not understand really what happened in those events leading up to overcoming that challenge. Mm, that's really, that's a great way to articulate it actually. And I, it's a thought that's been kind of rolling around in the back of my head, I guess, but you've actually put it into words as to, Hey, this is why (laughs) it is hard. I I did my best. (laughs) Yeah, it was nice. It was nice. And (laughs) you, your example of Steve Jobs, and I'm not comparing myself to Steve Jobs, but I'm at the process of starting off my own business as well. And this morning I sat down and I did a little bit of strategy work on it and thinking about, okay, why do I want to do this? And it, it isn't about the money, but at the moment it's also about the money because I have two little kids. I have a mortgage that I need to pay. So I do need to make money from this. I don't need to, I don't need it to turn into Apple and make that much money, but I, I've got stuff that I need to spend money on. So that is a necessity. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think we often just, I mean, the, the, all the different ladies I work with, you know, I mean, passion gets thrown around a lot in the, in this development space. And again, it's super important. I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's not, not important, but <laughs> the way I feel about passion sometimes is it's, it's good when you've got it, 
right? But what happens when you don't, you don't have it, which is most of the time, <laughs> particularly like, like you're starting your own, your own business. That's exciting. But when you go on the journey, it comes really arduous and challenging and frustrating. And it's, and it ends up being really awful. But then some people will say, yeah, but then you have this passion that sustains the hard bits. Like, but you don't, when you're doing the hard bit, you don't have passion. You don't have, you don't have inspiration or motivation or any of those, you know, positive feelings that you, that, that, that you need. Really, you just, you could, I guess that always comes down to just, just, just to discipline, right? You just got to discipline yourself to do stuff when you don't want to do it. Or you've got to figure out a way to overcome all those obstacles and all those dark and nasty things that are in, inevitable on any journey. And that's why I sort of I shy away from the, the, pos, the positive emotions because they just, they only work when they're there, not when they're not there. <laughs> do you know what I mean? There's no point in when things are getting hard going, well, I just, I really want to do, I, I really want to get ahead and progress, but you know, I just don't have the motivation today. I mean, that's, that's, that's the issue right there. It's like, it's not about having motivation. It's just about pushing through whatever this is regardless if you've got motivation or, in, or inspired or you're passionate or anything else. And again, it just to come full circle here, it's about really looking about all the, the negativity and the darkness on any one journey. I think if you understand that that's going to be the reality of any goal attainment and you look at that and go, okay, well, you know, if I'm going to go from A to B, these are the things that are likely going to happen. I think you can almost prepare in advance for those, those things. And that gives you a better opportunity to move through, through those things and have clarity in the chaos and have some control of, of your, your emotions. I mean, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but, but it makes it a lot easier if you acknowledge that those things are going to be along the way and you, and you somewhat think about how you might respond to the fact that you can't be bothered today. I'm hoping that makes sense. It does. It does. It reminds me, I think it was a Stephen Pressfield quote. He said, so hit the author of The War of Art, he said, if you need to feel your best to do your best work, you're not a professional. You're just a fortunate amateur. Yes, so. Yeah. One thing that I was fascinated by, Richard, is you like doing things that you don't like. Yeah. You like doing things that are hard. And obviously that's, that's training you to get better at the dark, to get better at the challenge, to kind of build your capacity to cope with adversity. Are there things also that you get out of doing something hard in the moment as well? Because that's a really long game kind of vision as you take on challenging things, like, is there some mm. short-term benefit that you get as well? Yeah, of course. Yeah, well, there's, there's that instant gratification. It's just that, you know, like this, oh, and then, oh, it's actually like, it's, it's probably the, the, the best feeling you're ever going to get when you, that moment just after you did something that was extremely, extremely hard further down the track, it's not so exciting, but straight away, you just overcome it. Like, oh, you know, like I speak for a living, right? I'm on a stage two or three times every single week, right? No matter how many times I speak in front of an audience, I feel terrified of every single time, right? And then when it comes to the end of that presentation and I actually leave the stage, then it's like, oh my God, this is, that, it, that's the bit that's amazing. It's like, 
it's like this weight's off you. You feel fantastic. You overcame something that was, you know, a challenge and, and a fearful event. And that's, that makes you feel elevated to, I think more than anything else. I, I honestly believe that when I've overcome some like ridiculous challenges in some of these adventures, like being in the middle of a war zone and sort of still ca- carrying on through a desert was missiles flying over your head. I mean, that is a moment where you're, you know, you're terrified, right? And it'd be easy to say, actually, let's just, let's not carry on moving forward here. Let's just retire and find some safety, but still moving through that. When you move through that war zone and it's all finished, it's kind of like, oh, that right there, that's just, that's, that's an amazing feeling. And I don't feel you get that anywhere else apart from when you do the hard stuff. Mm. Do you get a similar feeling after a spicy curry? <laughs> no. No, just tears. <laughs> no, no, just tears. <laughs> no, no. But uh, we, like, we've been talking for about 20 minutes already and we haven't even, we haven't really touched on the adventures that you have been on. So you were, you were backpacking, you were going out and exploring the world. When did you decide, Hey, I'm going to make a business out of this. I'm going to go and start doing, start doing some hard things, start telling, telling stories about it, start teaching people the skill sets that I'm learning as I go and do this. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I come from a, a corporate sales background when it came to strategy that's the, the industry i put myself into and i worked through that reasonably successful in sales managers that was in sort of sales leadership for a small amount of time um, and i just felt like i wanted something more i just i just thought this corporate life's not really for me even though i was fairly good at you know, and it was paying the bills well and all those things and at that time i was just running to keep fit actually and each morning i'd go out and sort of do five ten k's and and then I'd sort of trained up to do my first marathon. And then one day I was just out running in the morning before work. And I thought to myself, what, what, what would happen if I just didn't stop right now? Like, where would I end up by lunchtime? Where would I end up by tonight? And how would it feel? Like, that would be horrendous, like, just to keep running for the whole day. But it kind of appealed to me. And that, that idea just sort of started to flower and sort of bloom a little bit to the point where I, then I just arranged to go and find the longest mark trail in the world, which happens to be here in Australia, at five and a half thousand kilometers running the Great Divided Range. And I just thought to myself, I'm going to go and do that. I was going to run end to end of that. Didn't think too much about it. I didn't know if I could do it. I didn't know if I'd last a day, half a day. And what I ended up doing was I ran a, a marathon a day for about five five months, carrying pretty much all my belongings on, on my back out in the wilderness, not seeing people for days. And thankfully got to the other side of that and achieved it. <laughs> I mean, literally just like that. You see, but that's that again goes back to why I said like, people go, well, it surely wasn't that easy. No, it probably wasn't. But at that time, I wasn't researching the idea of how you overcome running a five and a half thousand kilometer trail, right? So when I look back at it now, I don't really remember stuff because I was just, I was just doing it. As now you see, I actively look for the lessons in the lead up to doing something. Like I choose a particular adventure and I know I'm focusing on all the, 
all the pre-elements that are happening, my thought processes, what exactly my, my decisions I'm making, what decisions that other people are making. So, you know, for that, that adventure there, yeah, it was pretty much, I just decided to, to go and do it, but there probably was a way more to it than that. It's just that I don't really remember all those things. Not, not, not to the point where I can be honest about it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for not lying to us. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the one that got the ball rolling. When you are choosing adventures now, when you're choosing to do hard things, do you have a process that you go through to pick opportunities? Well, now it's all based around my work, right? So, because I work with corporate organizations, it sometimes comes down to what my clients want. So for an example of that is, you know, one of my clients came to me and said, we want our people to know more about compassion and empathy. So I'm looking at my toolkit of adventures and thinking, I actually don't know if I have much in the way of anything deep on empathy and compassion. So I came up with the idea that, you know, probably where I'd find that would be in the funeral industry. You know, I think like a funeral director surely has a huge amount of compassion. Well, perhaps, who knows? You, would um, you hope so. Compassion and empathy, and they'd have to obviously deal with the dead, but also deal with the families and then their, their colleagues, and it must be kind of a struggle. So I got back to my client and I said, how about if I go and do that as an, an adventure, I go and work in that industry and I spend time in it and I, I, I work every facet of it and look for where there's compassion and there's empathy from the people that do it, from... You know, from the funeral director themselves, the people that work in the morgue, the people that work in the hospital morgues, the people that work with the palliative care people, the great diggers, all those kind of people. And also how I perhaps experienced that doing those kind of roles. So that's how I actually cho chose that particular adventure. So that's, that's generally how it works th these days is I go, oh, you want a solution to this? Let me go and experience that. We'll find people that actively do that. And then I'll come back with some, some strategies and some ideas of how your people can gain that, how that sustain that. But more importantly, it comes to something that's pretty entertaining and fun at the same time, rather than me just get the whiteboard out and teach you about compassion. Yeah. 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 That's a, it was an, must've been an interesting adventure to go through. <laughs> yeah, it certainly was. It was because I was personally terrified of it. I don't do death very well at all. In fact, one of the biggest struggles I had in that particular project was the fact that when I was going to go and see my first dead body in the morgue, I, was, I felt extremely guilty because I never went to see my own mum when she died. I had no interest. I was like, oh, I don't want to see even my mum. Creepy. <laughs> it's my mother, right? So then I had kind of a challenge to get over there because I felt extremely guilty that like, wow, I'm able to see a dead body for the first time. It's going to be a complete stranger. But yet now they're not, they're not a stranger because they're permanently etched in, the, in my mind forever, which by itself is a, a fascinating sort of finding is that, you know, I never knew this person. And well, I never knew when they were alive, but I knew when they were dead. And some, somehow now I have this connection with a dead person. It was a person, of course. And I can see them very clearly now. And, and what, what was interesting about that, that was that the, the first time I saw that person in the morgue, and then when I put my hands on that person for the first time to move them into a coffin, they'd already been dressed and they looked, they looked nice. Apart from me remembering they were so cold, I felt an instant connection and almost a responsibility to make sure that person was laid to rest. Yeah, I had nothing to do with them ever before. So it was interesting as the week 
went on to, to understand that's kind of how funeral directors feel. For like, yeah, I feel like I'm responsible for making sure this person, you know, looks nice, goes through all the pro process seamlessly that their loved ones can, you know, see them again and go, oh, wow, they look amazing, they look beautiful, and then lay them to rest. Kind of a, kind of an interesting thing to have a connection with someone that you've can't speak to or never seen before. Yeah. Yeah, that is that I have no idea why that would be, but that's, that is really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, you know, it wasn't, you know, I remember that, that first encounter was, I mean, they say you never forget your first and the guy I was with in the, in the mall that day, he was, he, I think he strategically did this as well. When I look back at the similar doc go to actually. So I was just looking back through the footage. He, he stood over, the gentleman came out with a white sheet on him and he was dressed, as I said, but he had this white sheet on him and he was telling me as he rolled back the sheet slowly, I'm tipping when he's there by himself, he just pulls off the sheet, boxes him in the coffin, right? But he was rolling it back slowly and I saw it, just saw a hand and then, you know, there's a foot and rolled up and, he's, and he said to me, what you have to remember is, was he's really this, what is she back? Is that, is this somebody's dad? Is this somebody's brother? Is this somebody's husband? He's a grandfather. He was a business owner. And he revealed this person and was like, oh, that felt better that you told me that because I was kind of scared, scared of a dead person. And but that, that idea and that, what he told me there really hit home when I, I, I went to the guy's funeral the next day, when I did see his wife and his grandchildren and his sons and the people in the community, all that machine was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I understand the words, but now to see, to see that, like, that's pretty powerful. And to be scared of somebody was, I, I felt guilty again. Like just yesterday, I was terrified of this guy <laughs> coming out of the fridge. And today it's like, no, I've got a connection with this guy. And it, wow, I'm, I feel, feel privileged that I'm here to witness this and all the nice things that people are going to say about him today. Yeah, that's cool. And that's a really, I think, valuable way to think about it as well. And not just for people who have passed on, but for people out there that you don't know as well that you said so the guy that cuts you off in traffic or the person that drops his shopping bag in front of you is that it's it's not just an inconvenience for you it's it's a person and they they have all of the stuff going on in their lives and you're right you never forget your first i remember the first dead body that i saw i worked at worked in healthcare i was a physio in the hospital and i walked into a room to see a patient and i was like Oh, this is not, this is not what I expected. And I slowly backed out and I went to see the nurse and I was like, Hey, Mr. Jones in room such and such. And she turned around and she was like, Oh yeah, he's dead. And I was like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> that was, <laughs> and I thought, I, I thought that, but it was, it was quite an offhand way to, uh, to have that first experience. I'm, I would have much preferred, I think your one. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, yeah, look, I, it, that project was interesting because I almost did everything backwards to some degree, meaning that this, the first day, like I attended funerals and carried coffins, but didn't see a body. And then as the days went on, I then saw a body that was prepared and dressed and, you know, bombed and looked pretty and stuff. And then after that, I then had to go and like pick up bodies from the hospital or just died. Mm. And that was a 
like, wow, they look very different <laughs> when, they're, when they're dead like that. And then it kind of finished off with the embalming process and, and, and seeing that that's pretty evasive and pretty full on. I kind of did it all backwards. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like normally you'd pick up the body first. And so but I'm, I'm thankful it worked out that way because it was just like an easier introduction to those, you know, very confronting kind of situations. Yeah, it sounds like the guy that you were working with was reasonably gentle in how he exposed you to it, which was which is great. I'm really f- interested in hearing about what you look for in yourself as you're going through these experiences. Now that you've learned to pay attention to them and you're and you're looking to pull learnings out from going on these adventures, whether it's at the funeral home, whether it's in war zones, whether it's with crocodiles. Yeah. What are you what are you watching for in yourself to learn from as you go through this? Well, I generally in the in the I don't think too much about the moment because I do all the work in advance. What I mean by that is if we go back when we started this whole conversation, I said, you know, that I embrace the dark side. Like, I like that's not the Star Wars thing, but, but you know, I I know I know for example, going into the, say this this death pro- project, I know First of all, I'm scared. I know I'm scared before I get, I get there. So I go, well, I'm going to be like seeing dead bodies. So how, how do I feel about that? And okay, so I feel like I'm going to be anxious. Okay, well, if I'm going to be anxious, what, what am I going to do about my anxiety in the moment? Rather than wait for the moment to happen and feel anxious, where I might go, actually, I don't, I don't want to go inside the more things. I'd rather deal with it up front and go, okay, well, if I'm going to be anxious, maybe I'll come up with a strategy or an idea that can help me control my anxiety in the moment, which will then give me some clarity and with the clarity, it will give me some sort of control. And with that control, I have some confidence. And then I'll, I'll be experiencing it, taking the actions that are necessary rather than just getting caught up in the, in, in the emotion. So I do that for every project. I, I think, I think it's through and there's pretty obvious things. Like I know like tomorrow I've got a speech, a speech to give and I just know, well, I know what's going to happen. I'd be fine until I get, I get there. And then be like, oh, that's right. Don't forget your lines. No, no, no. So it's like, I'm already thinking, okay, well, I've got to remember that when those feelings come up to breathe, remember that I've done this a billion times before and I've got some great content to share and I'm going to help people and keep breathing and stay grounded and all, all, all those things rather than getting there and letting that take control of me, which is always still ended a huge mess. And I do that with everything, everything that I put, I put myself into. And sometimes the question comes back, well, how do you prepare for something that is unexpected? So an example of that is that I once in the, in the middle of the outback had, he called himself a farmer. So let's call him an angry farmer because he, he put a shot in it. He put a shotgun in my mouth and told me he was going to blow my effing brains out. Now I can't prepare for a moment like that. And I never thought when I was going to go off into the outback that a guy might want to blow my brains out. But that was actually a somewhat Try not to sound too arrogant here. Comfortable situation, <laughs> which shouldn't be comfortable. And the reason for that is because I put so many of these little strategies and ideas in place to overcome fears and anxieties and uncomfortable stuff that almost by default, that stuff kicks in. When I should be scared, I've not. I've got a strategy for that. When I should be extremely anxious, I've got a strategy for that. When I feel uncertainty, I've got a strategy for that. Like all those things that happen to me in the moment, I'm actually got strategies and ideas that I'm using to keep myself calm and in control of a somewhat crazy situation. And I feel like if you can do that on your day, your day-to-day stuff, like meaning that if you just look at your average day, you can probably, you can probably, well, not, not problem. You can work out what sort of 
confrontation you're going to have throughout the day with, with yourself or with other people. Like, oh, I'm going to see that client today and I know they're really kind of hard on me and it always makes you feel a bit anxious or whatever. Like, so if you know that's coming, then why don't you prepare for that? And I think if you do that throughout each day and the weeks and the months, what happens is all those little small challenges that you overcome over time, that build up, that prepare you for those things that you could never predict. Like a guy pointing a shotgun in, in your mouth. Yeah. I'm interested in what, what was the strategy that you used at that moment? <laughs> what you mean apart from shit to myself? <laughs> yeah. That, <laughs> they could have scared them off. <laughs> Well, it's actually, it was a funny one. So when I, so when I do these, uh, these adventures, obviously, I've, as you know, I'm, I'm in the moment, I'm studying, studying and observing and trying to work out, you know, decisions and ideas and things that are happening. And then after I've done that venture, I sit down with a team of psychological experts, essentially. And we delve into all those stories and ideas and they delve into my, my, you know, my psyche and my character. In fact, it's a, it's a far more confronting time than any adventure that I've been in because it really is not that nice to sometimes go to places you don't want to go. And I'd been seeing this, this particular, I've got, I've got a few people I, I sit down with, but this particular lady I've been speaking a lot to, and we'd come up with all sorts of ideas of how to overcome all sorts of things. And then one day I just said, oh, that reminds me of that time that guy stuck a shotgun in my mouth and, and then just carried on talking. She was like, hey, just back it up a bit, Rich. Like what? What? She goes, that's someone, that's something you should tell your therapist. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. But I was, I glazed straight up, straight over it. Like it was a, like it was just an inconvenience rather than something that was obviously pretty life draining. And again, when we unpacked that, sto that, that story, she was like, yeah, like you re the reason why that was somewhat easy to overcome is because you did have all those little strategies that you built up over the months before before because this was on this big long run i was telling you about so the months before that i'd been overcoming all sorts of little things my day-to-day -day stuff like i can't be bothered today and i don't want to get up and, I, and there's wild dogs and i've got full of flies for a week and you know across the danger river on foot and all these crazy things and they just stacked up over time so i was just ready and, and basically all it came down to is that like i i was able to elevate myself above that situation, like like a helicopter almost, and and look at it from a brand new perspective and have control over. It. You know, I remember I remember joking with with, with the guy to start with, like I was like, oh, I'm doing this run across the Great Divide Range. He's like, who are who are you? And he this gun it ends up in my mouth. I'm like, well, I'm, you know, I'm Richard, and I'm running this trying to speak with the master of the door about shot, shotgun. And he was like, oh, who are you? Why are you here? And I was just joking. I said, oh, I'm doing it for charity. Do you want to donate? And just, you know, <laughs> just this, all these crazy things. So first of all, I make light of stuff that I'm, I'm scared of. That's a good example there. So if I'm really scared, I go, well, let's make it fun rather than scary. So I'm making it fun. And then I'm thinking, so, well, so I'm trying to make it fun, but he's not, he's not giving me anything here because he's, he's, he isn't fun. He's not a fun guy. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, but the good thing about looking for something from above like that, like a bird's eye view, is that you have that different perspective. So then I was kind of like, well, I just need to look for a solution here. I don't need to be scared. I don't need to be all anxious about this. I just need to look for a solution. And it, you know, and, and I guess if you don't have that control over your emotions in a situation like that, you, it'd be quite easy to either 
fight back, which would probably be not a good idea, or run away and retreat, which also might not be a good idea. Rather than just trying to sit, sit where that, that uncomfortableness and sort of joke your way through it and, and just try and look for solutions in, in the moment. And to the point where my solution was then to look behind this sort of little lean-to shed that he had and saw that there was these orange trees. And I said, oh, I like your orchard. You've grown some trees there. And he pulled that shotgun out of my mouth and he goes, yeah, actually, I've been growing those mandarins for a while. Would you like to try one? Sure. <laughs> sure. So he goes over and pulls these mandarins off the tree and he comes back and he's like, yeah, the sun's blessed it this year. They're the best color. They're really sweet. And he's just talking to me like it's normal. And he goes, anyway, my old, my old mate. Oh, mate, wow, you know, but blew my bloody brains out two minutes ago. Uh, and he told me which, which way to go. And, and, you know, he needs to go past my little lean to here and go down that fence line and you'll be on the right track where, where, where you're sort of heading. It's like, wow, I can't believe it. <laughs> but then he just finished it off with, as I went down that fence line and jumped over the fence, he goes, anyway, I was like, oh, no, he goes, it's not me you need to be scared of. It's my neighbor. Oh, shit. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So again, look, just, just prepping in advance, a huge one for really prepping for stuff in, in advance, because I believe like you're not, you're not going to go, you're never going to go externally where you're not willing to go internally. You know what I mean? Like you've got to go into the, you're never going to make it, you're, ne you're never going to grow out there if you're not, if you're not growing in outside here. Do you know what I mean? Like you never, if you, if, if there's fear out there, you need courage in here. Do you know what I mean? If there's chaos out there, you need, you need cl cl clarity in here, right? Like, you just, that's, that's just the way it has to work. Like, you're just trying to combat the world like that. So it's all about just going inter internal. Like, it's, it, I think ourselves is the biggest challenge. I think we are ground zero for leadership for that, for that reason. It has to start with us, right? Uh, everything has to start, start with us. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. Do you have a do you have a process that you work through to prepare yourself, Richard, for when you when you are going into a challenge? Well, like I said, I just think through things yeah. deeply before I go into them. Yeah, like my day to day. Like what's 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 the obvious things to start with? What what are the obvious you know barriers that are going to come up? I'm not talking about you know like the the, the real external barriers. I'm talking about those internal barriers. Like you know, what what am I going to put put in the way of this being a success because that's really what's going to happen here. like that's the only thing that is going to be the problem you know like i was i was in new zealand that's your neck of the woods i did uh, the tiarua trail if you know that one there from the top of the north down to the bottom of south island first person to crack that one which is great but I remember there was a section a section probably maybe i'm going to say north of the south island not charlotte pass something way more complex than that can't remember but i remember what i do remember is that i was going to be in that mountain range for four days, even knocking off 50 Ks a day, I was still going to be there for four, four days. And I was met by the Department of Conservation dog. And they came to meet me because they knew I was doing this long trail. And they said, Richard, we come to see you because we want to make sure you're prepared to go in this mountain range. I said, well, I am. Yeah, of course I am. Like, I'm an adventure guy. I've got, a, I've got all the equipment, I've got all the stuff, I've got the beacon, I've got the emergency equipment, all that kind of stuff. They went, well, the reason we say that is because this is a very arduous range and it takes the most experienced mountaineer's life. And just last week, we found two adventure guides perished in these mountains. So we just want to make sure you're on your A, a game. I was like, okay. So I made sure I had all the right equipment, 
I made sure, you know, I'd communication the best I could, flares, extra clothing, extra food, you name it, overboard. And I headed off into these mountains. And the first night was horrendous. I remember setting up camp that's fine, had dinner, went to sleep. And the next morning it was torrential rain. I couldn't see that far in front of me. I was literally a foot in front of me due to the fog. There was lightning strikes. The wind was howling. It was horrific. And I plodded along this, this ridge line for the day, actually soaked to the bone. All my equipment was soaked. Any kind of flares were just, just got, like, it was so, so bad. And then I had a night, another night then in the cold and wet. Next day then was going to be the highest part of this pass, this, of this mountain. And uh, I remember sort of climbed up this mountain side and again, storms, heavy rain, lightning strikes that I can't even see because the fog's so, so thick. And as I'm trundling up this sort of mountainside, I'm thinking to myself, wait, I'm way out my, I'm way out my depth here. This is, I'm not, I'm not an adventurer. This is not what I do. I'm not a mountaineer. That's, that's for sure. And I'm, I'm really scared right now. I'm terrified. I shouldn't be here. I don't want to be, be here. And as soon as those kind of thoughts were running through my mind, what I found was I was tumbling. And out of control until I just finally came to a stop like that. And I just remember lying down on my back, looking up into this sort of thick, thicky, thick fog or abyss, if you like, not feeling cold anymore, not even feeling wet, not feeling scared, not feeling anxious, not having no doubt, like nothing to the point where I thought that, you know, there's going to be, be a big hand that came out of those big clouds and went, welcome, you know, going to heaven or whatever. <laughs> And then after a while, I sort of sort of wiggled my fingers, toes it, and, and sort of got myself up. But as I went to get myself up, what happened was that I couldn't because my backpack had wedged between these, these two rocks. So I'm trying to pull myself free. And as I'm doing that, what I realized was that my legs were swinging from underneath me. And I was actually out on the edge of the cliff face to be saved by these two little rocks. Yeah, tell me about it, right? So obviously I was really slow and delicate and got myself free and I hiked back up to the top of the peak and over the, the other side. And when I eventually got out of that, that mountain range, I looked back through my GPS data and I'd actually tumbled 80 meters down this mountain side, which is a long way to tumble, mm. to nearly fall to my death and be saved by two rocks. And the question I asked myself after that was like, what actually ha happened? Sure, it was raining. Sure, there was lightning strikes. Sure, you can only see a foot in front of you, which is pretty important when you're running across the top of a mountain. It's nice to be able to see your feet, right? Sure. Like, it, but was it those things? Was it the weather? No, I don't think so. I always say to people, I think it was like me, myself, and I, right? Because mm. that's always just enough to make things really, really complicated. Like, I had all the equipment with me. I had to know how to do it. What made me trip over was me having self-doubt, fears, anxiety, and all those things and not focusing at the job at hand. So it was me. I'm the one who bubbles that up, not the environment. So now it's about how do I respond to the environment, be it in a business context or literally in, in the mountains and prepare to how to respond when those things come up. Cause they always come up. Any adventure, there's always fears, there's always doubts, there's always uncertainties, there's always anxiety, frustrations, anger, the list goes on right. So I'm always going to any new adventure thinking about those things and what am I going to do if they come up? And look, some of those ideas and strategies are the same every single time, but I'm still thinking my way, way through them. 
And I think if you just acknowledge the idea that it's going to be those challenges, you already have a better chance of overcoming them when they do, do arise, even if you didn't put a strategy in place, just because you thought about the idea and they weren't sprung on you. You're like, ah, I knew this, I knew this was coming. Yeah. And what I'm hearing there as well is it's not about trying to not have those emotions, to not have that fear and not have that anxiety, but it's about knowing how to respond when that does happen. And so you can, you can put it through an effective response, even when you're scared and anxious and worried and a little bit overwhelmed. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just, look, it's only like in all the, of all the adventures that I, that I've done and and personally experienced and experienced other people, you know, lived on the streets of India, for example, and you're watching those people that live on the streets or of all the leaders that I work with around the globe. Like it doesn't matter in what sort of context, like it's, there's only ever really three re responses to sort of change and uncertainty and this whole uncomfortable piece. Right. And that basically is, well, the, the, the first one's the easiest is just curl up into the fetal position and just go, oh, oh my God, hoping it's all just going to go away, which is just being inactive, right? The second level up above that generally is people being reactive to stuff, which is where kind of, I guess, most people kind of fit, you know, think things happen, I need to react, react to it. A more desirable and the third and final one would be to be proactive, right? Trying to get ahead of the change and uncertainty and all those things that are going to happen. But even being proactive, I mean, Really, that just comes down to being agile, I guess. But even the most fastest reaction time and the, and the most agile person is not ever going to, can't keep up with the, with the demands of the evolving, uh, you know, as business evolves. It's just, it's just too fast. And so I believe that rather than being those three things, what we need to be is adapted. So the fourth one, which is a surprise one. So you've got in that, inactive at, at, at the bottom, don't do anything at all. Failure, reactive, responding. You can't just, you just, you just fixing today's problems, not tomorrow's problems. You got being proactive, which is desi desirable. And most of the organizations I work with sit between reactive and proactive, which is, which is fine. But where they need to be is be adaptive or more to the point, be instantly adaptive. Meaning that when things happen, well, I've just changed and molded and I'm ready to go. I'd have to think about it. And for that to happen, we have to look at what challenges are you personally going to face between A and B and think of ways to make that a lot e easier. As you said before, they're always going to be, be there, but rather than let them consume, consume you, you need to control them and have some clarity in those moments so that you can progress or more importantly, progress quickly. Yeah. So if you're, if you're sitting down doing your SWOT analysis, the bulk of the threat box should be yourself. Yeah, totally. Well, you, that's, that's the only threat you've got. It really is. Like it's, you know, like it, and I think intuitively we know that, right? We don't, we know, like we just, there's some reason we love to avoid all that, all that stuff. And we focus again on that positive side of things, which I believe this takes care of itself. Like it, it, cause it's good until it's not. And then you have to figure out, figure out what you can do with the opposite part of that, right? It's just balancing that, that yin and the yang. It's not about ignoring the positive side of things. It's just not, you just need to make sure that both sides are equal, that the light and the dark are both equal. And then, then you're a balanced indiv individual, right? It's how one leg firmly in the light, it's how one leg firmly in the dark and a struggle that line. And that's a really good balance to have. But what we tend to find is that most people have both legs in the positive side 
or the light side. And that's when, you know, you become off balanced and you get caught out. And ultimately, again, you, know, you, you slow down on the journey or you have to take a new tack, which could be longer or more complex and more arduous. Or again, at worst, you just give up altogether and we don't want that. Yeah. Yeah. This has been a, a great Jedi conversation so far. <laughs> I've got a, got a couple of questions that I'd love to finish off with, mate. Right. And we've talked about a lot of this stuff already, but I'm interested to hear if you have any, any other thoughts on it. But are there any other ways that you build your capacity to cope with hard things than what we've talked about already? Well, doing hard things. Right. <laughs> Just doing hard things, you know, it's a very stoic way of looking at it too, right? Like doing the, doing the hard things, you know, it comes down to being resilient, you know, but then you can ask yourself what, what's resilience? Because people often talk about resilience being the, the, the capacity to bounce back. Yeah, the people, yeah, it's totally right. Because, you know, some people take years to bounce back. Mm. Well, some, things back. some things aren't a nice defined acute event. Sometimes the stress and the pain and the challenge just continues on for months and years. So yeah. it's, it's totally. do you wait until that's over before you bounce back? <laughs> no, but we just need to work through it, right? And the only way you're going to work through it is to be able to control. I just think it's, I think you need to, if you, it's not managing the uncomfortableness. Sorry, it is managing the uncomfortableness. It's not trying to manage the things that happen, like the change and the uncertainty and the fears and that kind of stuff. It, it, that stuff becomes a lot easier when you can manage yourself. It's just about managing yourself. You can ma manage yourself. You can get through anything. That's, that's all resilience is, is managing yourself through a somewhat difficult event. Yeah. Yeah. It's not bouncing back. It's far from it. You don't bounce back. No, I, I, I the way, one of the ways that I describe it is, is being able to navigate those times and find your way through them rather than wait for them to finish and then bounce back. Richard, how do you look after your health? Like how do you set yourself up in a way that you have the capacity to deploy all these skills that you have? Well, I, I'm not, this is not a good time to talk about me and my health because <laughs> I talk about I've that put, offline afterwards. If well, like. I put a few kilos on as, as of late, mate. You know, I like to blame COVID. Not really COVID's fault, of course, but I, well, I've actually been injured for a long time, which means I don't get out and do sort of, I'm a cam runner and I don't get to do the, the, the kilometers or the mileage I used to at all. And I've somewhat used that as an excuse to take my foot off the accelerator a little bit in that, in that department, which is been a really interesting exercise because you realize how detrimental that is to every other aspect of, of life, right? Not having that fitness component to some degree. I mean, saying that, I still, we've got a dog. I take her out for huge long walks and hikes and stuff. It's not like I've not been doing anything at all, but I think you definitely need to push ourselves physically into that uncomfortable space too, right? To the point where like, this is not necessarily fun and just push yourself there. And I think that just wonders for not just obviously the physical aspect, but definitely your mental capacity too. So that's just been an interesting exercise to not keep pursuing that and realize how it has kind of ruined a few things. <laughs> not quite, but, and then obviously I'm always working on my own mental health. I'm a huge, I'm a huge advocate for mental health. Just work. I mean, obviously apart from the things we've worked, sorry, we've spoken about today, I'm, I like to write a diary each day. I always commit to writing a page in that, in that diary. And I don't think about what I'm going to write. Sometimes I just write a bunch of words that don't actually mean anything at all. 
and not even a sentence. And those days where I don't know what to write, that's what I write. I do not know what to write. <laughs> and I think those kind of things just keep me, keep me on track, get stuff out of my head, just let, just free up my mind. I think we need to free up the ability to think rather than think too much on the difficulties and the hardship and, you know, the challenges that are ahead sometimes. You need to sort of have the ability to think. So I wanted to free up my mind. I'm very keen on that kind of stuff. Apart from, I mean, spiritually, I'm look, I'm, I'm a spiritual person. I'm not relig a religious person at all. Again, going back to that little project, the death, the death project there, if you want to call it that, death and taxes. You know, what, you know, I did question that whole piece again. Like, you know, is there, is there another, you know, do, do we go somewhere after this? Don't we go somewhere after this? And what I learned from that actually is that what I do know is that all those people that we leave behind have some wonderful things to say about us. Like nice things. Not once have I been to one of those funerals and someone went, actually, it was a bit of a dig. <laughs> no one ever said that. They might have been thinking it, but they never said it. Yeah, so there's sort of three three aspects. Obviously, you can go into all the different quantums. Can't be like, you know, science and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I, I do work hard on my me mental health. And I think that's probably number, I think somewhat that's more important than the exercise first piece, because if I can get my head straight, I can get to exercise. And then when I exercise, that then adds and complements my mental state. So they kind of work in unison, those two, I believe. Yeah, I think like, at least for me, that they kind of bounce off each other as well as that if I'm struggling with one, if I then go and do the other, that usually feeds back into lead to a more positive outcome. Like if I'm struggling with my mental health and I can't seem to shift it, getting out and moving some heavy things around or going for a run is really valuable there. Or if I'm struggling with the physical side of things, working on some mental health actually then really impacts how I perform physically as well. So I think, yeah, as you say, that they're, they're, they're intricately intertwined. Richard? Yeah, totally. Just, it's very proactive. Yeah. If people are interested in finding out more about you, mate, if they've enjoyed our conversation, want to check out the work that you do, where's the best place for them to go? Where can they connect with you? Lucky, oh, you're best to keep away from me, mate. It's not going to, it's, you'll end up doing things you don't want to do. <laughs> We've just been an hour and talking about how positive that is. <laughs> if, you, if you want to do things you don't want to do, head my way. Now, my, my corporate site is adventure-alchemy.com. So adventure-alchemy.com. I believe we're down for some service things at the moment, I think, but that'll be up and running again shortly. Uh, and that will really just lead you to everything else that you want to look at in terms of the, the presentations on there. There is some models and some ideas and some strategies and some methodology and stuff you can look at there too. It outlines pretty much all the, the projects and adventures that we've, we've done. And we often now also make documentaries while we're doing some of those, those projects too. And so, and that's a, as, as a current series we're working on called in in their shoes, got remember the name of that. In their shoes TV. If you go to in their shoes TV, there's a series we put together where I've been spending some time in people's shoes that come from pretty much poverty and the jobs and the and the things they have to do to to get get by. Which has been a fascinating series so far because I think you know a lot of a lot of my work in the in the development space, at least in the corporate world, the research often is focused on leaders or people in the military or those kind of things. You know what I mean? It's really interesting to, to look at leadership in a completely different context for people that don't have anything, right? Because I think leaders are everywhere. It's nice to go and 
you know, look at those, there's a lot, a lot we can learn from people at the bottom of the food chain. I hate to use that term, but probably more, I think more, more so because they have challenges that are real challenges. Like you're not, in some of those cases, they're never going to get out of poverty, but I find it interesting how they still have faith that they, not, not that they will get out of it because they know they're not going to get out of it, but there's, there's still something that keeps them going and pushing through and, and dealing with the, the arduous nature of their, their being really just getting up in the morning is just a horrific in some of those places. Yes. Do you, if you find that interesting, head on over there. Yeah. I'll definitely go and check that out. Richard, last question for you, mate. Do you have a challenge to leave us with today? Whoa, challenges. Yeah. It's uh, physical, mental, both. Anything. Challenge. Hmm. Probably not the meaning for, right? I think, I, th- I think a good challenge is to sit down with somebody you trust. And that could be a work colleague or a loved one or a parent and have a real honest and candid conversation around the things that you find scary in your life. I think that being very vulnerable and being honest with somebody around that stuff really is quite liberating, but extremely challenging, very challenging to be honest. And and you could do it yourself, but I think it's harder to go and voice that to somebody, particularly someone who you're loving or someone who cares, cares about you. One, you do that because it's safe, but the other thing is that it's hard. It's hard to just go up to your partner or your mom or your brother or Reverend and just say, you know, do you know what? I've really struggled with this X, Y, and Z. You'll, be, you'll get some amazing feedback when you do that too. Mm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a great challenge. Richard, thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with me today. <laughs> I'm trying to take that, mate. <laughs> I'm, gl- I'm, glad, I'm glad they're not in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with us today. I always love these conversations. If you want to have a, hear a guest, if you want to have a topic explored, if you want to ask a question, please send an email to chris at healthmentors.nz uh, and we can get onto that for you. If you want to support the show, the best way that you can do that is subscribe on your favourite podcast app and make sure to share it out with some of your mates as well. Thank you to Health Mentors, the sponsor of the show today. If you want to improve your health and your performance in the middle of a chaotic world, make sure to check out healthmentors.nz or send an email to chris at healthmentors.nz for a no-obligation chat. Thank you so much to my brother Jeremy Desmond for the amazing theme music to the show. And thank you to you guys for tuning in and listening all the way to the end. We'll see you all again next week.